Good morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to continue our series in Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. And as you turn there, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen here for you in a minute. If you don't, as you don't have your Bible, uh, or if you don't, it'll be, it'll be there for you. And as you turn there, um, I wanted to say uh, thank you for letting me have some vacation time. I feel re- ready to go. And, and, and it's also cool here. When the pastor leaves... And nothing blows up is always good. And that's the testimony to how everybody has been serving and just this pouring out for service here at this church, which is awesome. So I'm thankful for you guys and for the opportunity um, to let that happen because now I'm feeling rested and ready to go and we got a bunch of stuff coming up. I hope you're pumped, okay? I hope you're feeling good because I am and we're going to go this morning, okay? And you know, when I get a little animated, I'm going to talk fast so you listen fast, okay? All right, just kidding. Um, Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 we're continuing our series. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Tom had it last week, and I'm, on, I'm at it this week. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so as we continue and finish up chapter three, Paul really gives us one major command and then kind of qualifies that and talks about, he gives us a warning about that command and he gives us a reason behind that command. And the first thing he tells us to do is to imitate and look to himself, Paul, and to look to other faithful followers of Jesus. And so here's what's real clear. We need to be in the business of imitation, of Paul as an apostle and of other believers that we see around us. Um, I have a little nephew, and uh, he is the cutest kid in the world. He is into everything. He's small. He's tiny. And both of my sister's kids, sister-in-law's kids, have cartoon voices. It's like, like, even makes their cuteness, like, it compounds their cuteness. And so I walk in the first time I see him, and I say, hey, Jasper, okay? And it was louder than that, but I have a microphone on, so I don't want you to, to be, you know, ears bleed or whatever. So I come up to him, and he goes, hey, bud, how you doing? Okay, first off, cuteness overload. He said, hey, bud. What has happened is he has heard everybody when they see him go, hey, bud, how you doing? And you know what he's taken? He has imitated. And so when he sees anybody, he goes, hey, bud. And it's super cute because it's like a little, they like shrunk a little man. He's a little dude. You know what I'm talking about. It's imitation. Have, have, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Um, I'm a short guy with big feet, okay? And so I, like, I got 11, 11 and a half shoe, and my, my little boy, um, who is super skinny, puts on my shoes and walks around the house, <laughs> which is funny that he's like, do I think of dad, I think of shoes. And if you know me, that makes sense, okay? And so he's, he, he comes in there, and he's wearing the shoes, and he can barely move his feet. He's like, look, I'm dad, okay? I was like, right, you got a big head, and you like shoes. There you go. You're just like dad. And, and we think about this. What is he doing? He is imitating what he has seen. Sometimes that works out good. Sometimes not so good, right? And you kids, 
follows your example in one way, and then they also follow your example, and you're like, oh, don't say no, don't say no, don't say that. Following imitation is something we do. Paul is saying here, imitate me. And he says not only that, in verse 17, and that is the major command of this passage, brothers and sisters, church. He's talking to this church corporately, okay? You as a church, church in Philippi, join in imitating me. And then it says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, hold on. That seems a little arrogant if taken out of context. Come and see how good I look. <laughs> you want to know who, you don't want to know, see somebody who follows Jesus? Well, you just come right over here and let me show you somebody who follows Jesus, okay? I got that for you. No, what is he doing here? Verse 12 says this, not that I have already attained this, or I am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Note this. Paul is saying, imitate me, not because he is perfect, but because he is perspiring as he goes and is following Jesus. You know what perspiring means because we live in Tennessee and it's the summer. Walk outside. I was just in Florida, central Florida. You can, the air is like a curtain, okay? You have to like kind of, as you're walking places because of the humidity, you know what it means to perspire in, in movement. And so what he's saying that I have not made it. Imitate me. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. But I am striving towards the goal who is Jesus by the power he's given me for his name. And so the, the imitation here, Paul's saying, imitate me as far as I follow Jesus. And he says it a couple times in the New Testament. He says it that way. But remember this, Paul is not claiming to be perfect, but that he is perspiring in his pursuit of Jesus. And so here's the thing. We are to look at other believers. Will they be perfect? No, because the apostle Paul, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote most of the New Testament, who was a missionary at the top of his game. He is not, he's not made it, but we are to look at and strive towards and look at other people and imitate their faith when we see it matching up with the Bible and what God has called us to do, which is interesting because so many of us see Christianity as just an individual pursuit. But Christianity is not an individual pursuit alone. Yes, personal faith matters. You have to have personal faith in Jesus. You can't bank your salvation on your parents' faith or the fact that you were brought up in a Christian home. That is not, that's not what makes you a believer in Jesus. However, Christian faith is personal in the sense that you trust Jesus for your salvation. You confess your sins. However, you are now part of the family of God and, and your sanctification, which means your process of being made holy, and you're, that, that occurs in a community of people. Not people who are not perfect. Paul, which if we look at him, he's, he's a pretty good example he says, I'm not perfect. I have not arrived. I'm still striving forward. We should imitate those we see in the, our community of faith. That's why it's so necessary because if you're not in a community of faith, you can't see people's faith and the people's faith around you. And also, you're, if you're not in the community of faith, you're probably not reading the Bible and being taught by the apostle who we're supposed to imitate. And that's why community is so important. 
Christianity is not an individual pursuit. It's something we must do together. I, I've been there. Somebody has done you wrong. They didn't show up when they were supposed to. They said some things that were less than kind. They drive me crazy. They annoy me. But they're a part of our faith family. Most of you have at least one relative that you want to hit with something. You know it's true. But you keep showing up at their house. And you keep that relationship going, even though it knows it's going to infuriate you and you're going to have to vent all the way home. You know what they did? Okay. Emotional, like, just get, I gotta tell you what they did. You know what they did? And then the person next to you, I didn't see it. It's like, you aren't looking, okay? We all have that. We don't give up on those, on that crazy, but we're quick to jump off the boat at the church. And I'll argue with this, at least in the church, you know at least that, that, that there's teaching and that the spirits of God's at work and there might be heart change and life change in the person that's so bad and it might be heart change in you and then you can deal with that person. Why are we so quick to jump? Why are we so quick to run? Why are we so quick to that? It's because often we see Christianity as an individual pursuit and it is not that because Paul is saying here, brothers in the church, imitate me. And not only imitate me, I'm not perfect, but I'm striving, I'm perspiring in following Jesus. What does he say? He says, keep, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on the example. Now, first off, he's talking about other believers who are alive right then. Because it's a very... It's a very um, active way he's talking about it. Look out, look at people who are following Jesus. Not that they're perfect, but they are perspiring in their pursuit of Jesus. Look at their lives and see what, and imitate that and look to them and be inspired and be encouraged and, and make your faith look like them. Put on their big shoes, if you will. Say, hey, bud, like they do. Follow those who are following Jesus, at least their, at least their example, as much as it follows Jesus. So my question is, who do we look to? If that's what we're supposed to do, Paul tells us to imitate and look to other believers, and that's why community is so important, then who do we look to? Well, Paul says, look at me first. And so we can do that by going to the New Testament letters and looking at the way Paul lived his life. Also, we can go to the book of Acts, and we see this is divinely inspired stuff. In the book of Acts, we can see how Paul conducted his ministry and his life, and we can look to that and know what we should do as we strive as believers. Now, I want you to notice something. This morning, we wa I walked in. You might be a little toasty. Downstairs, they're definitely toasty, okay? Um, we got air conditioners that are trying to cool this place, but hey, we're on a wing and a prayer. Lord's gonna give us something new, okay? I believe it, all right? So we're just, we're like, we're like, like the Hanukkah miracle. The oil just keeps lighting up the lamp, and we're just gonna keep, we're on like the Looney Tunes. We're just gonna keep plugging holes in the dam, okay, until God gives us a new place to go, okay? So you might notice you might be a little warm right now. Some of you are freezing because you're freezing everywhere, okay? But many of you might be warm. Out there in that hallway, we shut these doors to keep the air in here, okay? And out there in that hallway right now, there's a fan blowing. And the reason the fan's blowing is because it's hot, and Ed and Lisa are out there right now. And they came in today, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they were like, I ain't got any complaints. And I said, man, what do I see here? Is someone serving, following Paul's example of do all things without grumbling and complaining. 
And I'm like, man, that encourages my faith. And that's, Paul, that's a Pauline thing. So if you want to look at what, how you're supposed to live the Christian life, look no further than Paul and his and the divinely inspired word that he, he wrote, that he was the conduit for. Also, we can look to this. Who do we look to, as, uh, to imitate and look to? We can look to history at believers who have gone before us. And you can do this in a lot of ways, but I tell you what, I like to le- read many biographies. I don't know if you know this about me. I lose interest in stuff quick. I have a little bit of ADD, okay? So I'm like, this is cool, this is cool, rabbit, squirrel, okay? And that's how it is. And I got these books that have these many Christian biographies. John Piper put, produced a whole bunch of them, and they're about Christians of the past, and it talks about their faith and how that encourages people on. A guy by the name of Eric Metaxas wrote, seven, wrote about seven men that every Christian should know, and also he wrote about seven ladies that every Christian should know. And some of those people were like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was, um, he was a, a German pastor around the time of World War II, and he actually was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler, and it failed. And he ended up in a concentration camp, ultimately perishing in a concentration camp. But through that, he wrote some incredible works of God, uh, or, or works about God and his faith. One of it is called The Cost of Discipleship. It's one of the best books on discipleship that's ever been written. It's still referenced and it was written in the 40s. In fact, it's, I was by my bed right now. And when I read about his faith and he was just asked, I mean, you think about it. The whole world is on it's completely turned upside down. There is evil incarnate with a bad mustache that has run amok. And he has to walk out and live out his, his faith. Oh, man, how does that encourage us and how we walk? There's so many of these things you can, you don't have to be, some of you are thinking, man, he's re- I have to read these big, huge books to get that. No, sometimes you can find a sermon, like if you go to Desiring God's website, there's a whole bunch of people you can read about Christian biographies, about people who have lived, have gone on before you and lived the Christian life and what their life has looked like. And that is inspiring and it shows us how we ought live. I want to encourage you to do that. Encourage you to look at other. Just look at look at Paul. Look at his writings. Look at that's how we're supposed to imitate and walk as believers. Look to people of the past. Also, look to those around us, and imitate them and their faith. They're not perfect. The people of the past were not perfect. Paul was not perfect. But as we look at them and we look in their lives and we see the way they follow Jesus, there are there are things that motivate us and encourage us in our faith. I think, about, I think about one of my pastors when I was a little boy. Called him Brother Randy. I still keep up with this man today. He's been a constant source of encouragement in my life. When I think about, when I think about ministry, a lot of times I think about how did he do it? Why? Because I saw his life. I saw his sincerity. I saw what God had done in him, and I wanted to imitate that. I think about the faith that I see all around me. I think about the faith of so many I've seen that have cared for their parents when they were ill, and I think, man, that is what it's like to be a son. I've told Robert Hodges that on many occasions, like, man, I am inspired and encouraged by the way you love your parents. I look, and I see somebody who has gone through some difficult, difficult situations in their life, in our church body, and they don't, they don't lose faith. In fact, God has broken them down and has built them back up and has done incredible things in their lives. I can think about any number of people that I have seen that in and through. And I am encouraged in the faith. And I am, I am spurred on. And I want to imitate those ways. Are they perfect? No. But God is working in their lives. And Paul says, imitate me. And keep a lookout. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
And, and this is the command. And then he gives us a warning. And warnings are important because there's always this tendency. There's a tendency for us to be negative. You don't believe me? Go on social media. Go find a popular athlete. Take LeBron James, for example. Pull up his Twitter feed. Read the things that people say to that man. They're terrible. He's just a human, a big one, an amazing one, athletically. But he's just a guy. And people are talking about wanting to hurt his kids because he didn't make a shot or he's not the goat. Whatever, right? Terrible things are said of these public figures. And we trend negative. It shows a brokenness in our hearts and our need for a Savior and need for a new heart. We trend negative. And so here's one of the things we have to remember. as really, We look to other people because, and we need these warnings because we tend to, be, to go down the negative road, to be sinful, to judge other people, to not just be judgmental, but, but to also try to make ourselves, puff ourselves up by making the other person look small. That's a part of our sin nature. Paul's saying, look to these people who are following me, and here is your warning here. Warning happens in verses 18 and 19. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. So here is your warning. There are people who have slidden away from a profession of faith. I'm not saying possession of faith, but a profession of faith. And they have now become enemies of the cross. And here's why. I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I think the text merits this understanding interpretation. Because notice this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Now, there's very few times when Paul talks about being in tears. This is one of the few when he is disemotional, unless it's praising God. It's, it's not usually here. Why would he be so emotional about these enemies of the cross? Do you get that? You, you, can you imagine that? You are classified in the Bible as an enemy of the cross. Like you're, you are against the work, the finished work of Jesus. That's a pretty big statement. That's, that's huge. That's like saying you are anti-Christ. You don't want that on your epitaph. You don't want that in association with your name, okay? You don't want this. On, like, you know how on your Twitter feed or your profile where you put stuff about yourself? It would be like, Hartsville, Tennessee. That's where I live. Occupation, enemy of the cross. It's pretty harsh. But why did, he's talking about these enemies of the cross, those who are going against the gospel. And he, he says that he's warned about them and talked about them. What does it say? With tears, now, why would he be so tearful at these enemies? Because in other situations, especially when he talks about his enemies, he says, watch out for them. God is going to judge them. Watch out for these people. They did me a lot of harm. God's going to take care of them. He's, talk, he's told some people don't have any association with certain people who are like this. Why would he talk this way about these enemies of the gospel, the cross, the finished work of Jesus? Well, I believe it's this, and I think reading between the lines here, remember, he talked about these opponents that he has. And these people are Judaizers, which means that they, they like the idea of Jesus and his, and his work on the cross, but they say, if you want to be saved, you trust Jesus, 
And you have to follow all the Jewish rules, including circumcision. Go back up to chapter 3. The first part of chapter 3 talks about, remember he said, where we joked about we are the circumcision, okay? They were talking about that you had to be circumcised, you had to keep the food laws, and you had to be Jewish in nature in order to become a believer, become, become saved. However, Paul says, no, by faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we, not by adding anything, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Not Jesus plus doing righteous religious works. That's not it. It's Jesus plus nothing. Faith in Christ's finished work is it. And so he is saying here, why does he have tears in his eyes when he's talking about these enemies of the cross? Likely, these were people who were close to Christianity, maybe even professing Christianity, maybe even in the church, who have since turned away from the truth of the gospel and, ha- and want Jesus plus something else. And that is always a temptation for us, to try to justify and make ourselves righteous on our own, to find another God, to find another way. Jesus plus this makes me right. Jesus plus nothing makes us right. And so what he's getting at here is the reason why he talks about these enemies with tears in his eyes is because these people, he probably accounted at one time because of their profession of faith as brothers or sisters in Jesus. But since then, they have turned away from the true gospel, and now they have become enemies of the cross, trying to teach people contrary, which he's going to talk about here in verse 19 in a second. And if you have ever encountered somebody who you loved and respected and looked to as a brother and sister in Christ, and they have turned away from the faith, not that they were ever saved, but they, by their actions, they, they show that they were never been saved, and now they run away from the cross. It is debilitating. It hurts. It's like a death. In fact, one of the guys that was the most influential, one of the most influential pastors in my life was my youth pastor growing up. I served with him. Uh, I, I, he, I, I came to a, I started following Jesus really closely under his ministry when I was about 15 years old. I was called to the ministry that same year, and I ended up going to work with him when I graduated um, from high school. Now, it worked out good because I met that girl down there, Amy, and we got married through this whole thing. So, you know, don't cry for me, all right? We worked out great. But I went to work for him at a, at a church in Central Florida, North Central Florida. And we had this relationship. He was my mentor. I followed him. A lot of my ministerial ideas came from him. And you know what happened? He had been living a lie, and it came out. He had been having multiple affairs at his entire ministry. And it was like I lost a friend. And he was far away from God. He ran so far away. And it hurt. It was like a death of the person that I, I knew. Another friend that I knew in Bible college, he got married, had two precious little girls. We were there at the birth of one of them. We followed them, and then all of a sudden, renounces Jesus, leaves his wife, leaves him in the lurch, no money, nothing. They have to move way out. They're broke, destitute. We try to confront him about his sin. He would have nothing to do with it. He won't talk to anybody anymore. That's like a death. And I think that's what happened is these people who have been professing these enemies of the cross, at one time they professed faith. But they had slidden to a place where they showed that 
they were not ever truly believers in the first place. And this breaking Paul's heart. And he says, I've warned you that there are some who have fallen away. Those who have, we thought were among us, but they turned out to be not really among us. And that makes it, now they're enemies of the cross. We thought they were our brothers and sisters, but they showed by their actions that they're not our brothers and sisters and never were. And it breaks my heart. And I, you can see that kind of jump off the page if you just read between the lines and understand it in context. That's what's going on. And so I want to encourage you here. Like, listen, the Bible warns us, believers, all the time. Now, salvation is a gift. You can't lose it because you didn't earn it. And it's a gift. You can't lose your salvation, but there's warnings on out Scripture because you can become discouraged. You can become backslidden. You can become a place where you are not following Jesus like you ought to, like he demands and he deserves. And Paul's warning them, look, there are these people, these enemies of the cross. I've warned you about them. You should imitate faithful followers of Jesus. Why do you need to do that? in a community, because there's always the danger of you, of you sliding away from the Lord, of you backsliding, of you getting in sin, of you trusting something else other than Jesus. I want to warn you of that. And then he talks about the destruction that this happens. Look in verse 19. He says, their end is destruction. So about these people, these enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Remember that. When you look at somebody who is, who is not in Christ, I want you to just remember this. Their end is destruction. Destruction, this is talking about eternal destruction. This is talking about hell. It's a real thing. It's a real place. And it is, it is for those who are in their sins and have not trusted Christ. And these people are enemies of the cross because they're not just trusting Christ alone. They're trusting Christ plus uh, the Jewish requirements. And their end is destruction. So it's not looking good for these guys. The second thing it says about them in verse 19, it says that their God is their belly. Now, if you take, a lot of people have, have, have taken this passage and thought that Paul was talking about a different group, okay? Because he's kind of talking about this licentious group that, that's into gluttony and, and, and shameful sex and that kind of stuff. But I think what's happening here is the same people as these Judaizers, okay? And remember, the Judaizers were trying to say, you have, you have to trust Christ, plus you have to keep all the Jewish food laws. Remember, no pork, no bacon. Jesus has made all things clean, bring on the pig, okay? Hallelujah, all right? And so they, they are at this place, when he says their God is their belly, they have, uh, they have put their food laws above Christ because they are trusting not in Christ alone. And that's what he's talking about. So they are trusting something else. They're trusting their own righteousness, the righteousness of the law. That's no righteousness at all. So he says their God is their belly. They're trusting in the wrong things. They're trusting in food laws or trusting in works to make them right. Then he goes on to say in verse 19, their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Now here's what, shame here usually refers to um, the genitals, okay? And I know that's a hard way to, to put that, but it's talking about shameful behavior, okay? Including sexual immorality. That's what this word has the connotation with. And so here, these people are not licentious, and they don't run after this, but what, they, what he's talking about here is, you keep talking about circumcision, and it's your shame. You're glorying in this thing that is shameful. It has to do, in, in, this com in mixed company, you are not supposed to talk about those things. You are glorying in something that is, that is below the belt. You are glorying in something that should not be gloried in. And then he says this, and finally he says, and this kind of sums up everything, and their minds are set on earthly things. 
enemies of the cross, those who are not trusting in Christ alone, are always set on worldly things because they're trying to do worldly things to make themselves right with God. I just want you to hear this again. This is the beauty of the free grace of Jesus. It's his finished work. And our faith in his finished work that makes us right with God. Anything added to it, just anything added to it, you have nothing. Works of the law, it's all Christ. And do you get this? <laughs> That's why we glory in Christ. Nothing that we've done, we don't deserve it, we couldn't earn it. And to put anything, a food law, trying to be a good person on your own, any of these things we try to make, we try to put out there, it detracts from Christ's glory. And it's, it's bankrupt compared to him and what he has done, his death, burial, resurrection, and coming again. That is our only hope. And these people have moved away from that, and they're trying to move other people away, and they're called enemies of the cross. But I want us to always remember and be warned, okay? When I was in, we, we went to Legoland, okay, in, in central Florida. And people don't realize this. When Going to, I think Jurassic Park was inspired by Central Florida. You know what I mean that? Because there are reptiles everywhere. People don't realize that, okay? And they got big signs. We were at this, this resort for Legoland, okay? And they're all, all the houses look like they're made out of Lego bricks. It's really cool. And you kind of get into this theme world, okay, where you just forget reality. If you've ever been to Disney World and you see a bird and you're like, oh, that has to be an animatronic bird, but it's just a pigeon, you know? But you're like, oh, this is, I'm in my own little, oh, it's, it's, it's a small, small world. Okay, so we're in Lego world, okay? And then there's like, there's this crane that descends, and I'm like, that's not made of Legos. There's a Lego pelican at the place where we were having dinner and stuff, but this place, it's a real bird. And then right behind the little crane, you see this sign that says, watch out for snakes and alligators. And it's big. And you know why it's big? Because they're there. When I was growing up, there was an alligator that lived in the retention pond across the way. That was a, probably about 200 yards from my house. We would get rid of the alligator once every three or four years when we got big enough to eat a dog. It happened every time. We lived there for six years. That was two dogs down. Okay? We got rid of one. One came back in. I was like, look, I'm here. Another day got big enough. Oh, a dog. Okay? And it was done. Warning. Why? Because it was a real threat. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're going to Florida and you're like, I'm going to get attacked by an alligator, you're probably not if you're not stupid, okay? Oh, look at all this moss over here in this lake. Okay, you're dead, all right? It's going to roll you. You're dead. <laughs> That's the truth, okay? <laughs> but they're there, and it's a warning to be taken. But if you think about it, we are constantly having to fight against Trusting something else other than Christ for our righteousness. We do it in so many different ways. And we also have to fight against our flesh, which wants to do what we want to do. And Paul, is this warning to us is to not live like these people because they're focused on earthly things. We should imitate those who follow Jesus, especially Paul and others who we see around us. 
do this in community, being warned that, that there's people who used to be among the believers, but now they're enemies of the cross, and now their lifestyles leading to dis- eternal destruction. They're glorying in things they ought not to, the law and not Christ. And finally, their minds are really set on earthly things, food laws, and, and, and the shame of the circumcision. But Paul in verse 20 says this and reminds, gives us a good reminder in the midst of our warning. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And he says here, remember, these people are living for the earthly things. They're going towards destruction. They're living for things that are low and small. But you are a citizen of heaven. Remember where Philippi is. It's called Philippians because it's written to the church at Philippi. If you remember this, this church is a Roman province. And to be a Roman citizen is is meant to have, it means that you have a lot of benefits that other people do not. Citizenship meant a lot. Citizenship meant you have a fair trial. Citizenship citizenship meant you couldn't be crucified. Citizenship meant a whole bunch of things. If you had this citizenship, you belonged to the Roman Empire and you had all the rights, privileges there too. It was like, on a very small scale, having a Sam's Club card. Right? You've been to Sam's? You can walk in and get great savings on, on a 40-pound vat of mayonnaise that no one else is entitled to, but you got the card. You belong. You ever been in Sam's before and you don't have the card like you're with somebody else? You're like, I'm with them. I don't got the card. They do. With them, citizen of Sam's, okay? That's small. I got you. I know that's low. But I had to put it, the citizenship was a big deal. It's like having a passport when you land into another country. Try to go to another country without a passport. It's not going to work out too well. Then try to get out of that country without a passport. You might get stuck. Passport says, oh, look, I can come in here. I am I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Their laws apply to me. All these things are important. And so he's saying, remember this. And it's very important to them, these folks, because they would think about citizenship all the time. Being a Roman citizen made you, you, your life was just better. You had so many rights and privileges. And he says, listen, you have a better citizenship. It's the citizenship of heaven, which was purchased for you by Jesus. And our citizenship, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's coming. So our citizenship in heaven is not some pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by hope, okay? It's not, it's not this ethereal hope. It's rooted in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is very, very clear about this. And here's the Christianity is not innocuous Looney Tunes faith. What do I mean by that? You remember Looney Tunes when everybody died? Most everybody, unless it was a bad guy, they would have float ethereally into heaven with the harp and all that kind of stuff. And it was just just generic idea of heaven. You've seen that in like Touched by an Angel or anything like that. This is just, just a generic idea of heaven. Christianity has never given that generic idea of heaven. Christianity is the presence of God bought for us by the shed blood of Jesus. And so any thought less than that is too small for heavenly citizenship. 
That's why not everybody gets to heaven. It's because it's a blood-bought thing by Jesus, and he gives as a gift to all those who believe. And so you see this here. He wants to remind these people that these, these enemies live for earthly things. You're living for a citizenship that's in heaven. This citizenship has been purchased by Jesus, and he's working in this. And even though they're focused on the lowly things and they're going to be destroyed, your body's going to be transformed. He says this in verse 21. Who, Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so through the power of Jesus and his, his rule and reign, that power that is subjecting the whole world to him, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess him as Lord, is at work in us and will transform us one day to be like him. Which is so much more than these enemies of the cross have. They have destruction. They have shame. They're trusting the wrong things. And they're focused on earthly things. And he's reminded them, don't be discouraged and fooled by those who turn away. But remember what you have. Imitate, follow Christ, because you have this great possession and you have this great power at work in you. Now, here's where I want us to get. And Joey, if you start making your way up here, that'd be cool. Um, discouragement is real. I probably don't have to tell you that. Discouragement is real. Despondency is real. Being broken down is real. That thing where you, your faith just seems bludgeoned is real. Discouragement can do all sorts of things to us. And Paul's warning here is warning a group of believers who are getting beaten up by these false teachers. Here's where I want us to land today. We're supposed to imitate believers. You need to find somebody to imitate. You need to look and find some people to encourage you, knowing that, that, that there is always the danger of, of, fall, of moving away from Jesus and being discouraged and despondent. But he's calling us here to hope, hoping that we have this power working within us, that Jesus, we have citizenship, we have this access to heaven. We will be transformed, and the power that's, that's subjecting the whole world is working in us to transform us. And so here's the deal. You might be discouraged. In fact, there's a lot of room to be discouraged here in this place. There's been a lot of folks that have passed away in the last several days. Some of the terrible stuff that's happened. Several people in our, in our church family have lost parents in the last few days. We also know of a parent in our, in our church that had lost kids yesterday in a car accident. We also know there's been some terrible, awful things that have happened with Donovan Crittenden. If you've been following any of that, this man who went missing and is now dead, and there's no answers, and it's a really fishy situation, and there's a, there's a, a, a lady who's widowed, and now kids that have no, they don't have a dad. This world is, is, there's so much evil, and there's, there's death, and there's, all these things can discourage us from our faith. And what we need is to look to Jesus, and to look to those who've gone before, and to say today, and remember this today, that we, our citizenship is not here, our citizenship is in heaven, 
And Christ is working in us to transform us. And so some of you, here's, here's the call today. Some of you are discouraged and beaten down, and, and you just need to cry out to the Lord. And I want you to know this, that, that we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us, is what the Apostle Peter said. I also want you to take you this to Psalm 34, 18. It said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Remember your hope. Fight your fear and your despondency with your hope. Don't let it cause you to slide, but fight it with these good things. Christ is working in his people, and it's a great power, the power that we're transforming. You may need to just take a few minutes, and you just need to, to let it out to the Lord and cast your cares upon him and remember your hope. And so we're going to have a prayer time in a minute, and that's you. Secondly, I believe this. There are some of you in here who have been coming for a while, and you need to trust Jesus. You're far from the cross. You're trusting Jesus plus something else. Okay, you have an idea of the story, but you think you're trying to trust your own righteousness to be a good enough person. You need to turn from your sins and trust Christ. Repent of your sins and trust Christ. And in these moments today, would you really get real with God as we pray silently and say, God, this is who I am. I would trust you. And if you want to know more about that, talk more. I'll be, myself and Tom will be available to talk to you about that. And if anyone needs prayer, after the service is over, we'll be glad to pray over you, especially if you're discouraged. And encourage you with this. That Jesus is near. His power, the power that is subjecting the world to him is at work. We have access to that right now. So here's what Joey's going to play some. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and have a moment where we marinate on this scripture. And we do business with God. Father, we come to you today. We're thankful for this time we've gotten to worship. We're thankful for our church family. We're thankful for your word and how it penetrates our heart, God. And we pray that we would be, our hands would be open and our hearts would be bowed. And just in submission to you, saying, God, how do you want to move us? God, I pray for the despondent today and those who feel discouraged by, by sin and the weight of the world and all the ramifications of sin and death. Those who are feeling who, who are feeling just broken. Now may they hear this this reminder of encouragement that their citizenship, if they're believers, is in heaven. And that you're working in their lives with this great power, the same power from our Lord Jesus that is submitting, that is putting all things under his feet, that it's at work in them. And that they're not alone and they should not be discouraged, God. Lord, help them to know that they can cast all of their cares on you because you care for them. And Lord, help, help them to know that, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Father, those who are far away from you or have not trusted you or trusting something other than you, God, we pray that that you would burden their hearts and convict them of sin and show them that you are the way, the truth, and the life, God. And they would turn from their sins and trust you. Not, Lord, please raise up salvation today. Lord, help us all together strive to imitate 
you to follow Paul as he imitated you and to follow others as they perspire in their pursuit of you. God, help us to follow those folks. Help us to be inspired in our faith so that we would not be deterred or set back like those enemies of the cross. Lord, we come and we bring all these big asks because we, we believe that you can work in powerfully in our lives, God. So please work powerfully in our church and in our lives. God, do great things for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.